Hi, welcome. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. We're coming to you on WLIW 88.3 FM. And also you can stream online at WLIW.org slash radio. And uh, we have a great guest today. We do. We do. Joe. Malia. Malia. Joel Malia. <laughs> good, good. I'm bad with names. I know I'm you are. I'm bad with names. Uh, Joel Malia, who is from, uh, was born in Southampton Hospital, and I can testify to that since I was there. We'll say no more about that right now. But Joel, um, Joel spent the first 16 years of his life as a girl, mm-hmm. uh, transitioned while he into a being a transgender male while he was attending East Hampton High School, um, started a middle school GSA, won some kind of national award for that, I don't remember what, and uh, was very much a, a transgender advocate on the East End as he was growing up. And now at, in his mid-20s, has kind of settled into life as a man and um, is going for his master's degree in forensic entomology. So he's a pretty cool dude. He's got a lot going on. So we're going to talk to him in a few minutes. But first... How you doing, Sock? I'm good. Good. <laughs> Just watching the world spin around. You know? I know. Uh, it's been interesting times. It continues to be interesting times. But no, I'm well, you know? Yeah. I'm still trying to sell clothes on my house and just going through what, my own transition, not nearly the transition Joel went through, but, you know, all transitions come with various anxieties and new opportunities. So um, I'm just trying to live moment by moment in that way. And, uh, you know. It's interesting uh, that you mentioned the transition because, um, of course, we we both know that this station has just recently transitioned from uh, WPPB, Peconic Public Broadcasting. We always are grateful to Dr. Wally Smith for everything he did to make it a, a going concern and, and to, for it to catch the eye of the, the bigwigs at Channel 13 and WLIW. Uh, which is now what the call stations are. And then, of course, my own business that I, you know, founded, the yeah, co-founded, so, uh, the independent. Yeah, so what's going on there again? I'm not sure. And I've signed a non-disclosure agreement, so, oh, so I can't, can't even, even if I did now, I couldn't it. tell All you. Right. But it, it seems to not be on the stands anymore. So there's been a lot of transitioning going on. Yeah, well, it could be uh, that uh, little seam in the time-space continuum is, is shaking a little bit in 2020, which is an arbitrary number, but okay. Well, yeah. 2020 vision, right? Right, which is really funny. See, I, I saw this great meme, actually, because, <laughs> you know, I, I like memes. And it's like it's someone on the edge of a cliff and there's an enormous hand about to flick them out into the into the abyss. And all of the pieces, including the person, the hand, the cliff, the abyss are all labeled God. Now, I don't want to get religious here, but God being whatever you want it to be, the compassionate universe or source or whatever, it's like. It's all happening. I, I'm not saying that people are dying for a reason or, or anything, but I guess transitions happen uh, organically, well, authentically. What's that? What's that line? The only constant in life is change. So, how yeah. are you with change? With dealing with change? You know, I, I've I've always had a hard. My hardest time is waiting for something, and which is funny because being a writer, there's a lot of waiting for news and waiting for whatever. But I liken it to like if I'm driving. And I'm going to kind of be pulling into New York City or trying to go through a tunnel or a bridge. It's like the 20 minutes before that's my anxious time where I'm wondering about all the things that have to go right. But once I kind of get closer, I calm down and it's just it's it's operational. So I, I tend to front load my anxiety with change. And then once things start to happen, I it's, it's just kind of accept life. <laughs> front loading anxiety. I heard someone call that. Um, well, I call it awfulizing, but I heard mm-hmm. someone else say don't disaster bait. 
And I thought that was one of the greatest things I ever heard. Disa- I, I tend to disasterbate. And then everything's okay. You, you can go blind if you disaster pay too much. That's what I've heard. And grow hair on your palms. So we <laughs> want to avoid that. Anyway, you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolov. We've got our guest, Joel Malia, forensic entomologist, transgender advocate, East Ender. And we're going to be right back after this. Welcome back, Sundays on the East End. We are coming to you from WLIW. It's 88.3. I love WLIW. You know, since WLIW has taken over 88.3, my acne has cleared, (laughs) my grades have improved, (laughs) and I'm popular with all the gals. Well, we are at the end of a fun drive this week. So if you believe in this show, don't just clap your hands. Clap your hands on your wallet. Donate. WLIW.org slash radio. Um, and we are going to bring on our guest now. We uh, are talking with Joel Malia. Joel, hi, how are you? Welcome. I am good. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Where, where are you right now? Uh, right now I'm in Mariches, a little bit up island. Let's just jump in. So you come into your consciousness uh, living in East Hampton, right? So you're an East Ender. East Hampton High School graduate. What was it like growing up out here, uh, especially uh, as, you know, having been born into the body of a, of a, a woman, a girl, but knowing inside that, that you were a man? What, what, what was, let's just dive right in. Well, let's pick up some terminology from the get-go. So uh, I would say that I was assigned female at birth, or AFAB for short. Technically speaking, you know, I wouldn't say that I was born a woman because no one's born a woman, you're born a baby. and then. Uh, things happen along the way. So I was born or assigned female when I was born. Um, and I identified as female until I was 16. So that's halfway through high school, you know, nothing crazy happening in high school, right? Everyone knows exactly who they are. <laughs> so when I was between my sophomore and junior year, before that, even I was I was feeling very unsure of myself, but everyone is in high school. So I didn't think it was anything different or weird. I just thought I was you know, going to have my indie summer where I found myself on a road trip or something and and everything would be okay. Right. But I went to a leadership conference uh, when I was in ninth grade and I met a transgender man there. And he was the first person I ever heard talk about being transgender. Do you remember exactly what he said that struck you to your core? I, I don't, I think it was just hearing him talk about his life. It wasn't one sentence he said where I was like, and that's me. I was just hearing him talk I had long known that something about me was different, uh, but I didn't know what it was. Different from your assignment? From my, yeah, something about my identity was, was different. Right. I knew uh, that I wasn't a straight girl, and but I knew that I liked guys, and I didn't know where that left me. So I heard him talking, and he started changing my views on things, not, not, not necessarily changing, just kind of opening this whole new path to me that I had never considered as... Uh, you know, a, a possibility within our universe. Uh, and when I started thinking about it, the more I thought about it, the more it 
was exactly how I felt. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was in ninth grade. And then I went all through ninth grade, all through 10th grade, you know, trying to just survive high school. What resources did you have to kind of like fall back on during this time of exploration before you before you were sure? Uh, well, I started going to meetings and, and parties with the Long Island Gay and Lesbian Youth legally. Um, they're a nonprofit that has, has a few bases all over the island. And basically, they're just a resource center for youth, but they also work as like a meeting point to have discussions and to have, you know, fun events. Well, at that point, they were based in, in Bayshore, correct? Right. So that was a 60-mile one-way trip uh, from East Hampton to Bayshore that I would do once a week uh, with some of my friends who would drive me, bless them, because I was not of driving age yet, uh, which is crazy to think about how young I was doing all this. So Legally was a great resource. And then beyond that, just uh, I saw found a lot of forums online. I'm very much a research-oriented person, right. so uh, I did a lot of research. Right. You're, you're walking through every day in the hallways at East Hampton High School. Would you say that like your sophomore year, your, your freshman, sophomore year, were more of a minefield than, than the typical sophomore in high school? Or would you say that uh, it was a very welcoming, uh, if not very, like that there were resources at the school? Sure. Well, I, I would say I'm very grateful. So my freshman year of high school was spent at Bridgehampton High School, uh, where I was in a class of 13. And so it was easy to make friends. It was kind of, you know, there was no locker room bullies because you had the same classes every day with everyone. It was like a little family. And then I switched to East Hampton High School the next year. And I felt like I was going to be a cool high schooler. I don't know. I, I don't. I had this impression that like, well, now I'll pick up on like my, you know, I'll, I'll start developing. and I'll be like a person, you know, and I'll be a cool woman instead of a geeky girl. And I'll figure it out. I was very lucky to be in an incredible class at East Hampton High School. I think we were a really standout group to come through the school. Like me and Alec at, at Trinity. They still talk about that. Class of 81. That's it. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, that's kind of how it was. I mean, we we were a really close-knit group. Everyone knew everyone. It was a little more difficult for me because I had come from outside the district. So I didn't have like the same deep roots with everyone. But uh, I, I found that I was pretty much welcomed very quickly. And I was part of the Gay Straight Alliance before I came out. So my sophomore year, I was uh, already known as like the, they would call me like Mama Gay, which was funny because I was straight at the time. Um, And that was played into my talks there. I was already, before I came out, nominated to be the president of next year's Gay Straight Alliance for my junior year because I was very, uh, took on kind of like a den mother position for everyone in that club. Was it in your sophomore year that you founded a, a the middle school was it the first middle school gay straight alliance like on long island or something yeah what? definitely in suffolk county um yeah it was during my sophomore year before i came out uh, okay, you came out right go ahead mm-hmm. so well it used to be a selling point of those meetings is that i would talk about how important it was to me as a straight ally to see those spaces and it was funny at the time i mean i wasn't sure i don't know if i believed the words i was saying when i was saying that i wasn't part of the lgbt community uh, except to be an ally. But by May of my sophomore year, I knew I had to say something. Well, actually, I guess I, I came out first to my oh-so-wonderful mother in April of my sophomore year. 
Well, we can have like a little a little bit of story core going on right here. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. The wonderful mother is right here. Right. And what was the most challenging aspects of coming out for you? I was worried I wouldn't be believed. You know, when someone says they're gay, the kind of the public consciousness, if you know your family well enough to know, you know, oh, well, they're going to be okay with this or anything, I, I feel safe coming out to them. There's not a lot of like disbelief. There is a little, you know, for sure, people who come out as gay have, you know, oh, well, they're going through a phase or anything like that. But when you say, I'm trans, and I'm going to need medication for this, and I'm going to need surgery, and you have to help me with all of this, there's a lot more that has to go through the mind of whoever you're coming out to. So I was worried about not being believed or about not being taken seriously in it. Most people, I think, know how their parents feel about having gay children. But it's a lot harder to gauge how your parents feel about having a child who's about to totally change their identity and going to need so much help doing it. But I found I, I spent a long time just deciding I wouldn't come out or maybe I'd come out at the end of high school uh, when I was going off to college. So it wasn't something that like I'd have to deal with so much with my family. And then I went to a party at a legally event and met some really cool gender nonconforming people there. And when I was trying to describe to my mom about all these new identities I had learned about, you know, about learning about being bi-gendered and learning about being genderqueer, uh, she said, what got you interested in all this gender stuff? And I remember we were on our way to go pet puppies at a shelter. No, no. We, were not, we were going to Chickapalooza to pet chick to pet baby chicks. I just wanted to incorrect. We were on our way to the Long Island puppy experience on the North Shore. Fine. <laughs> and... <laughs> I just said, you know, well, I think next year I want to try being a boy. And I wasn't sure what that meant. And I wasn't sure that I meant it. And I wasn't sure that she'd understand it. A very gentle way of, of beginning the conversation. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I, uh, when my daughter came out, um, I, what I can remember, we were watching TV um, and she comes into the room and, and, and I was like, I have something I'd like to say. And we didn't turn the TV off. She goes, no, like, this is real. So we turned the TV off. Mm -hmm. and, she, she, and she was 14, I think, or 15 uh, at the time. And, and what, I, we've talked about it since, but like she really struggled with being able to declare what it is she was even trying to say. She just knows she needed to say something. Right. And she was like, I think I'm bisexual. I may be gay. I don't know. There was a lot of that. I could tell you, and I don't know what it says about me as a dad, at that time, she didn't clean her room a lot. And the first thing I blurted out was, I, well, that's cool, but I thought gay people were supposed to be neat. Oh, my God. And, you know, can you clean your room? And that's funny. Yeah, I, I had kind of a similar reaction from my father, who was like, are you going to keep up with, like, hormone shots? You can't even keep up with the dishes. And I was right. Like, <laughs> the way that, like, fathers think, right? Yeah, good to know. So, like, emotionally, like, removed from their own emotions. <laughs> you know what? So, well, you know. It, it sounds like a good place to take a little break. We're, we're going to come back and talk to um, Joel Malia, our guest, a forensic entomologist and gay transgender man. And we're going to delve into that for a minute because that's when people kind of go, okay, I understand transgender now. Like I understand transgender. It's in the news a lot, but gay transgender, why didn't you just stay a girl? Like, you know, people, I know that you field a lot of questions and you do it with a lot of grace and style, Joel. I have to give you that. So we're going to take a quick break here. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sockler. We're coming to you on 88.3 WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. You can also stream us online at WLIW.org slash radio. We'll be right back after this. 
We're back. Sunday's on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. On WLIW. 88.3 FM. And WLIW.org slash radio. We are at the end of a fun driving week. So please, if you uh, support shows like this. every week is fun. Fund driving, ah, not fun driving. Yeah, so and you're not having any fun with, driving. With, I know, I don't have it. Well, I, hopefully have by vehicle. the time this airs, I will have a new car. My, my car just died. It, it, it died a... A glorious death. I loved your car. It was so it was so cool. But anyway, I, 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 I had named it Wilbur because it was such an old war horse, <laughs> and it evidently uh, didn't take to the name. So. Well, it's the end of Pride Month, and we're uh, we're honoring that with our guest Joel Malia, who is a graduate of East Hampton High School, transgender, and a forensic entomologist now going for his master's degree. And my son, I'm proud to say. Okay, so you're 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 making this transition. You've you've come out to your parents. How did it go down with the school? I really want to get to what resources were available for you now and what resources are available today for kids on the East End who are genderqueer or questioning, um, you know, to talk a little bit about how things have changed in the past eight, nine years. Sure. Uh, if I can say real quick on the topic of Pride Month, we've decided to skip Pride Month. This one is Wrath Month. We're not doing Pride this year. Uh, we're going to just skip right to Wrath if that's okay. Um, <laughs> Well, if you have to ask if it's okay, then you're not really wrathful. <laughs> I'm uh, trying to be polite. Uh, I'm having a kind of boomer moment because I have no idea what you're talking about. Wrath? Yeah. I mean, Pride, well, you know what Pride Month is. I do know what well, Pride Month is. Everybody's angry. Everybody's angry. There's a lot of stuff going on. Okay. So it's, they're going to Wrath Month. I assume that's what you mean, right? Yeah, of course. But, okay. But what is Wrath? Next year we'll try sloth, but this year, Wrath for sure. Wrath. Anger. Oh, Wrath. I thought you said Wrath as in like R-A-F. No, no Wrath. like Raffy. Like W-R-A-T. Well, all these okay. kids loved Raffy when they were growing up. No, Wrath. <laughs> okay. of Wrath. Yeah, okay. They're going right to the I anger. I got it. It is Wrath month. Um, Absolutely. So you're driving up island with your friends to go to Bayshore. Um, mm -hmm. And then an idea germinated with you and a bunch of others to maybe bring something like that to the East End. It, mm -hmm. it was something that we had talked about, um, but eventually I was approached by Legally. And they said, because at that point I was uh, head of the Gay Straight Alliance, I was being very outspoken. I was doing a lot of like little local talks about um, being trans and about being gay. And you're 16 while this is going on. <laughs> yeah, at this point I'm 16, 17, around there. And they say, do you think there'd be interest in a, a gay and lesbian youth center somewhere out on the East End? And my friends who have never been to Legally because it's too long a drive, and me who is so sick of doing that hour and a half drive once a week, says, yes, please, we would be very interested. Was this David Kelmnick who approached you? or uh, I believe I was first approached by Matt Cotty, but it might have been David Kelmnick who came first to me. Or it may have been through Barbara Boylan, our Gay Straight Alliance counselor at East Hampton High School. Right, right. Um, so East Hampton High School had a, a counselor whose uh, job and, and time was spent uh, trying to create safe space. Yeah. So she was, uh, I, I don't know her official title. I wish I did some sort of counselor, high school counselor, but she was definitely like a designated safe space person. Um, and she was the 
like adult chaperone of the Gay Straight Alliance and extremely active in that. And my memory of things was was you and I, since I, you know, full disclosure, you are my son, mm -hmm. uh, going to um, Adam Fine, who's now going to be the superintendent of schools. Congratulations, Adam. Uh, and Maria Mondini, uh, who's the who was the assistant principal, and saying basically, okay, this was in May of your sophomore year, and saying next year Joel is going to be addressed by he and him, and needs a gender a neutral bathroom or a safe space. Um, I don't know why the pee and the poo always comes in as being like the most important thing about being transgender because it isn't, but uh, but you did need a safe space, and they were they were very gung ho as I remember. Everybody everybody got on board real quick, unless you you know have stories about. I mean, what kind of pushback did you get? You certainly didn't sure. get it home. What, what was the pushback? So I I also remember that meeting. I remember getting a big hug from Maria Mondini and her. Sorry if she's listening and this is not how it went, but seemingly with tears in her eyes saying this will be a great learning opportunity for us. And then to Adam Fine, if he's listening, but him sitting next to me and saying, you know, I, I was saying, like, I'm so sorry if this is going to be a problem, it's going to cause any problems for the school. And him saying, sweetheart, I'm a Jew and I'm married to a Muslim. I got problems at home. So. <laughs> I'm going to say that too. God bless that. I love that guy. So anyway. I... Uh, uh, thank you to Adam Fine for that because it did. It, I, I kept those words with through with me through not just East Hampton High School, but kind of from then on of not apologizing for taking up space somewhere and for creating new challenges. So, but you very quickly got to work on changing on changing the narrative for everyone else. Like you just didn't do yourself. You were doing everybody. So, right. yeah, um, yeah. I I tried to make it so that it wasn't just here make an exception for me, but instead create a pathway for other students who might follow me because I was the first outwardly transgender student at East Hampton High School. I was the first one to go through transition while attending school. So that was my junior year. I started transitioning in public in school. In my next two years, three more students came out. And let's make this really clear for people. It, it wasn't a snap decision on anyone's part. You went through like no. months and months of counseling in well, Brooklyn. Yeah, as required, um, there was only one clinic at the time that would uh, administer testosterone, the hormone I need to take for medical transition. Um, there was only one clinic that would administer it to a minor. And to do so, they require meetings with six mental health professionals. Um, so for us, that included two therapists, two gender therapists, their caseworker, their social worker, which are apparently different things, which I would not have known. So I needed to meet with so many people uh, to even get the ball rolling on this. This wasn't like a, 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 like you said, a rash decision at all. And then there was petitioning a court for a name change, which was rejected at first pass. Uh, and we what had to. He, uh, he said something really goofy. He, he, yeah. Well, so we waited. I remember we waited for 45 minutes while he reviewed the case. So sitting in a pew in an empty courtroom. And then he came in and asked me to join him in chambers where I was in a a full circle of old white men, and it was a very much an impression, uh, an impression of being stared at by vultures in black robes. And he said, "Tell us your story." And I said, "Okay, well, I came out in April." And he said, "You came out to the Hamptons?" And I immediately was like, "Oh no!" Yeah. Um. So we got a, a notification from him at the end of this that I was under too much societal pressure, and therefore I could not change my name. And we had uh, an incredible lawyer working with us. Bergen Finkelman. Of, Bergen uh, Finkelman. 
who was working with us and we called her and she said, oh, it sounds like someone needs an education. And I got a call a couple days later saying my name change had gone through. So (laughs) pulled some strings. I don't know uh, what Bergen did, but I assume it involved making a judge feel very foolish. <laughs> and this is something I don't know if you if you can uh, extrapolate on or not, but like I always and I've talked to my daughter about this a little bit. I, I always think that one of the things that I like if you are hetero and I, I, I'm I'm going to bungle all of the terms right, but you're straight and you kind of come of age and whatever confusions you might have about identity. You don't have to kind of label yourself because society is very comfortable with your label. But when you identify as different and you, you know you, you are not what society is seeing you as, it feels like there is this internal conversation where you have to actually state who you are and then get people to believe you. And right. that of itself seems like a very unnatural and very uh, potentially painful aspect of just becoming who you're supposed to be. Yeah. So you have to deal with that kind of emotion. Definitely. And it becomes like um, exhausting. You know, it's very emotionally exhausting to try to have to justify your entire existence over and over again and then explain things. And luckily, I'm someone who very much likes talking and very much likes facts and statistics and explaining things. So I definitely... I'm in luck with the personality I am blessed with because I don't mind going over, you know, terms over and over again. And I don't mind, you know, hearing people say things that they don't realize are hurtful and then being able to correct gently. And I've definitely learned patience, if nothing else. Like people calling you it, for example. Yeah. But I know. Um, so East Hampton High School, not their fault. They are uh, they were as supportive as they could have been when I was coming out, but they didn't have any sort of, you know, LGBT education in place at all, like even their health classes don't go over um, same-sex relationships or they didn't when I was there. So at the end of a quarter of taking health at East Hampton High School, you're allowed to do a little presentation on whatever you want, whatever's important to you. And I think that's kind of how they get around that. Um, So I did one on transgender health and what it means to be transgender, especially with like insurance systems, which by the time I graduated high school was no longer a problem. And now as of a couple days ago is once again a problem. Well, no, because Gorsuch write uh, something that it was, oh, no, that's just about discrimination. That's about discrimination. Yeah. The insurance that was uh, reversed by the current White House administration, um, a few, or the medical uh, discrimination that was reversed uh, now makes me in a very difficult situation medically. But to that point, I was talking about, you know, famous transgender people who you might not even know are transgender. And I showed a picture of a famous transgender actress. And someone in my class, knowing I was transgender, having heard my entire speech, having heard everything I said, went, it used to be a man. Mm. And I was like, no, she was never a man. She was assigned male at birth, AMAB, as opposed to my AFAB. Well, she is now a model, an actress. You are a fabulous trans well, thank man. Thank you. It does sound oh. like I am not fabulous if I'm a fabulous, but <laughs> I do appreciate it. But, but here's the thing, Joel. So you're doing all of this. You're 16 years old. So you're also just navigating freaking high school, like just, yeah. <laughs> just all of that stuff. And then then you get an award. You get a national um, third place, but still a lesbian, <laughs> uh, what is it, the Gay and Lesbian Student Education Network, GLSEN? Yeah, Glisten. yeah. third place student advocate of the year of, uh, in the U.S. No, that was uh, that's amazing. But uh, so... I like to describe it when people ask me questions that you were, for some reason, came off the assembly line, uh, a boy, you were some, for some reason, dropped into a girl suit, uh, which of course 
we think about uh, our, our guest next week, uh, Clarice, <laughs> the writer Jenny Lumet. But uh, you were dropped into a girl suit. And then to confuse people who are already confused, you're also gay. Yeah. So, which means that you are a male who is a tr- who dates other other males. Now mm-hmm. that must be difficult to explain. Of course, you don't need to explain to anyone. But um, you know, I, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I'm trying to to <laughs> catch up a little bit of your history. There's that, and there's also I, I would imagine that the first question people ask is, "Oh, have you had the surgery?" Right. So, like, how do you navigate all of these questions? I always start by saying. That's a very uncool thing to ask. You should never ask that again. But I don't mind telling you um, that I am someone, unless I've opened myself to it, unless I've said, ask anything you want. If someone, if it's something that someone brings up, you know, in like an interview or anything like that, I'm like, that's not the issue here. But I don't mind talking about these things personally, because I'd rather people know than wonder in my case specifically. But for some people, it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about. For anyone, it's a difficult thing to talk about. No one wants to talk about their genitals, especially on the news or in public, you know. Um, I do. <laughs> well, yeah, but you're a very rare exception. <laughs> like I said, I'd rather people do ask these things and, and learn the proper terminology and learn how it feels to talk about these things to me. But not I'm not speaking for the transgender community when I say, yeah, go ahead and ask, because don't. <laughs> Definitely do yeah. not. Uh, unless someone has opened themselves specifically to that line of questioning by saying, ask me about my genitals. Yeah, you shouldn't <laughs> at all. Right. Like the worst pickup line in history. <laughs> <laughs> no, ask me about my genitals. Yeah. Well, imagine how it is then. Imagine how like dating is for a transgender person. You know, you can't walk into a bar and hope you get hit on because at what point do you bring up in the conversation, hey, and there's a big surprise you're not expecting. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so have you seen the crying game? Right, so that, but yeah. So anyway, so you you graduate high school, and now you know you're you're in your mid twenties. You're living your life, and um, you had another kind of uh, crisis of change where you were going to a liberal arts college. You got a mm-hmm. full scholarship. You, by the way, you graduated. Little bit of proud mama here. You did graduate East Hampton High School with all sorts of awards and accolades, and at the top oh, of your yeah. There's a big, there's a big plaque with my name on it saying I contributed to a healthy environment of the school um, yeah. in the lobby of East Hampton High School. And you were the speaker for the for the for the baccalaureate. Right, yeah, but before ahead. we move out of high school, I sure. you now here I'm just wondering. And again, if 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 this didn't happen, I don't want to assume it did. Of course. Were were there real? You could say it's ignorance, but like force bullying and forces that that you had to kind of navigate. In, in that period of time. It's nice to think in retrospect, everybody was supportive, but I have to imagine it was quite difficult at, at different times just to have to be in the same room or the same space with certain opinions. Yeah, I mean, any time then and now would have been some, some experience. And thank you for asking, because it's something I do want to bring up is that my story is definitely told through kind of rose-colored glasses because I was incredibly lucky that my Everyone in my class was really cool, was uh, interested to learn more, but not pushy about it. I was I was really, really, really lucky. And I had friends who were two grades below me who came out and were just absolutely like every day, you know, being told that they were faking it to get at their own locker room, to be told that they can't use certain bathrooms, you know, whose parents weren't supportive, whose friends weren't supportive, you know, different people coming out in the high school who were not seeing the same story I was. And it really... I didn't expect it. I thought kind of like that bullying on TV was fake, but it wasn't. It was just not where I was. 
had you personally had any experience being bullied or pushback or, um, you know, in any way? No, nothing personal. It, it hurts to see like parents of friends on Facebook, you know, posting stuff about like, you know, anything about, you know, Caitlyn Jenner or anything, you know, mocking her for her identity or, you know, not that I necessarily agree with her in many things, but I don't think she deserves to be misgendered or mocked for that particular aspect of her life. So many more that she could mock for. Yeah, exactly. There's so, so much more to mock her for. <laughs> yeah, you can pretty much yeah, leave like, that one alone. We were touching a little bit on the LGBT uh, network and legally, which is L-I-G-A-L-Y, Long Island Gay and Lesbian org. if you want your questions answered. We, we touched on that. We don't have a huge amount of time, so I want to go back to that because uh, because by the time you graduated high school, there was a center out here, which is still yeah. it's still active in the Sag Harbor Whalers Church, yeah. correct? The old Whalers. That that is. So tell us about that about that day when that when that ribbon was cut. <laughs> what kind of sense of accomplishment did you feel? Who was there? T- talk a little bit about sure. that. Sure. Um, well, I was a couple weeks out of having my chest surgery, still very much on Vicodin and still <laughs> with compression bandages and everything. But David Kilnick, the then director of Legally, asked me to speak because I had been uh, very, very involved in the opening of the center. And so the three speakers were David Kilmnick, myself, and Edie Windsor. And I remember trying to like hold a conversation with Edie Windsor and being so out of it. Then she went up and spoke and just trying to follow that act is daunting, <laughs> definitely, especially for some high school student who's just trying to hold it together on stage uh, before I have to go back and lie down. But it was a really amazing coming together of the community, of seeing who was there, you know, especially to be somewhere so close to home and opening the center was a, a really amazing feeling. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like it was a special day. It really was, yeah. In going through this experience, has your relationship with religion and or God uh, changed? I, you know, you're an entomologist, and mm-hmm. I always find that, like, for me, this, like, I, I study... I think as a writer, sometimes I feel like I'm studying humankind and the human condition like an entomologist would study bugs. But like you're looking at these little creations and creatures, mm-hmm. learning so much about the universe. That's what you're drawn to in your in your um, career. Is there a unifying principle in this or, or are those two separate things in for you? Like, is there a way you can talk about that or am I uh, just trying to... <laughs> no, sure. I, I think it can be linked in a way of... Um, uh, you'll notice in a lot of people in the transgender community, and I, again, I don't speak for everyone, but you'll notice that a lot of us have kind of fringe interests. And I think that mm. is those two things are linked. So insects being kind of overlooked and and generally disdained in the in the general public, I think that definitely has some sort of linkage. I think also, like I said, my kind of intense brain for research, I really liked the idea of learning 100,000 scientific names and having to link it to tiny differences in microscopic features on little tiny animals. I liked that as much as I liked, you know, looking up, you know, which clinics I should be using and which testosterone cycles I'd like to be on and, and all of these things. I, I think both appealed to me in the same way. And, and if you could be a bug, what bug would you be? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Is that probably some moth that only has to live a couple days but gets to look real pretty while they're doing it? 
<laughs> That's a great place for a break. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sarko. on WLIW 88.3 FM, Long Island's only NPR station, also available online, WLIW.org slash radio. We're going to be back after this. They say, don't dare, don't you even go there, cutting off your long hair, you do as you're told. Tell you wake up, go put on your makeup, this is just a phase you're gonna outgrow. There's something wrong in the village, in the village. We're back Sundays on the East End. We're talking with Joel Malia, uh, who graduated East Hampton High School, uh, was a huge transgender advocate and partially responsible for the LGBT starting a, a satellite out here at the Old Whalers Church through legally. But um, right, so in this in this today, pride month of wrath, <laughs> um, what, what are the things that that we should, as a community and society, be really focused on? In your opinion, sure. Well, there have been two huge changes uh, just in the last week. Uh, that both kind of need to be drawn attention to. The first is the um, anti-discrimination verdict that was reached a couple days ago by the Supreme Court, which is huge. Before, it was legal to be fired for being transgender in almost every state, or at least well over half the states. I think it was almost 30 states where it was fully legal for the reason for termination being gender identity. So that has just been overturned. Now it is illegal in all 50 states to fire based on uh, gender identity alone. I mean, of course, you can always say like, well, this person, you know, didn't, wasn't smiling enough, and and whatever. There's there's plenty of loopholes. But it came from a conservative court. Yeah, uh, I think caught people by surprise. And and uh, I know for me, it gave me hope that there's a different conversation going on in those. And it was based yeah. on the Civil Rights Act, which is you know even cooler uh, in this time of you know everything, yeah. everything. Yeah, and I couldn't agree with that more. But. The, this victory kind of comes on the heels of a really big shakeup, which is the overturning of the Obama-era reasonings on medical treatment uh, and medical discrimination. Why should people care about whether transgender people can get their estrogen or their testosterone or their surgery? Well, and, and I understand people saying, you know, well, I don't want my public funds being used for trans purposes or anything like that, which is ridiculous. But beyond that... Um, this isn't a bill that says insurance won't cover hormones. That's not what this says. It says that transgender people are no longer a consideration that hospitals and insurance companies have to make room for, which means that transgender people do not have to be treated by hospitals, that hospitals can say, our system can't handle you, or we don't treat people like you. And people are saying that's very extreme, but uh, I encourage people to look up people like Robert Eads, that's E-A-D-S, who died of ovarian cancer when no hospital would treat it because they didn't know how to treat a man with ovarian cancer. And he he sought help from a lot of people and was unable to get that help. It also means that insurance companies who don't cover transgender issues can define what they say a transgender issue is. 
So if I were to get into a car accident tomorrow, they can say my hormones make me a careless person and that's what caused the car accident and therefore a car accident is a transgender issue. This all came, this was uh, at the stroke of uh, Trump's pen, Yes, right? Yeah, so this is something that had been undone almost exactly uh, three years ago because I remember I got a call from my insurance company three years ago saying, um, hey, we, we see that you're, you were listed as female in our records and now you're listed as male. If you are transgender and interested in surgery, we will pay for it. And I got that call from an insurance company that did not have to reach out, but they did. And then uh, this totally undoes that, uh, which wasn't something that necessarily I thought. How can we remedy this? Like, is it just voting Trump out and getting somebody else there? That yes. <laughs> I would say vote him out. I mean, stay, I, I would say keep public awareness about it because it's not just, well, the taxpayers don't have to pay for my surgery anymore. Like, that's not the issue. The issue is that I will, there are hospitals that will say you cannot enter. You know, if I'm having a heart attack, that there are hospitals that will say you can't come in. If I get cancer, my insurance company can say that they don't know whether or not testosterone is a carcinogen, and therefore they can't okay. treat my cancer, that well, they will not cover. Thanks for clearing that up, treatment. because it's not just about sexual reassignment surgery. It is much, much bigger, and I'm really glad that you brought that to light. Thanks, Joel. So yeah. well, let's move on from, because transgender yeah. isn't all you are, that, that that's just who you are, but you've gone on to do so much else at the age of 24. Tell right. us what- about your en entomology and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah, what's your journey uh, in, with entomology? Like, so you sure. are fascinated by insects and their place in the in the universe, and uh, well, and joined the Peace Corps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you, Jan, you joined the Peace Corps. What was that? About? <laughs> yeah, I did do that. Well, so I, I mean, I'll start by quickly saying that I grew up with an incredible, crippling phobia of moths. By the time I was a sophomore in college doing liberal arts, I could no longer say the word moth. Butterflies were pretty bad too, but moths were for sure my sticking point. How about how about the moth podcast? Did you did you watch? That? <laughs> no, I I really when I say like it was a phobia, I mean people couldn't like flap their hands around me. I would I would have like panic attacks, and I don't know what started this. It was totally international phobia. But I when I left my liberal arts school because I knew I wanted to pursue science and specifically entomology, I took a job at the Long Island Aquarium in their butterfly exhibit where you stand in a room full of butterflies for eight hours a day and they land all over you. And it, I couldn't move for the first three days. And then I got over it um, and started. Why did you do that? Were you trying to push yourself out of your fear? It was, yeah. I mean, what, well, what I knew, do you, I, do you I, fear in general? Do you think things that people are, are scared of is also something like they're both repelled and compelled by the same thing? Sure. I mean, it's a little bit Batman, right? It's, <laughs> it's kind of... Yeah creating an identity through your fears and, and owning them. I knew I wanted to work in forensic entomology. And from the tiny bit of research I had done, the forensic entomology Wikipedia page lists moths as an important component of crime scenes. Is um, that true? Like, why is that? Yeah. Um, moths are very drawn to salty puddles, and people tend to make a lot of salty puddles when they die. <laughs> so, okay, so so and but what do you learn from a moth? Uh, it's not necessarily that you would learn something, except perhaps uh, you know if moths are in clothing or something, you might learn which clothing was moved and where. There's little hints that any bug at a crime scene can add to, but it's more that you should expect to see them there, and that was too much for me to think about uh, without a little bit of immersion therapy. Isn't like forensic entomology? I mean, I'm thinking like uh, criminal minds and bones and things like that. Don't you? I mean. Do you deal with dead bodies and maggots? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that is the main, the main crux of forensic entomology is what we would call post-mortem interval estimation, which is 
deciding how long it's been since someone died. And a really great way to do that is seeing when flies started laying eggs and then you get maggots and it's a, a really, really unpleasant business, but very interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing that you were, you were drawn to that. Talk a little bit about the Peace Corps because that's, uh, that was a pretty intense experience. Yeah, so, so you're, you're bugs and then you to go to Africa and to go to a country where, if I recall correctly, it was still very illegal to be who you were. Yeah. Um, so I was assigned to Ghana in West Africa as an agricultural extension volunteer, meaning I'd be teaching agriculture to the community I arrived to. And I was told by some uh, trainers there that it would be best if no one, like it, no one there suspects anyone of being gay because in kind of the the consciousness there, no one is gay. So there's no gay stereotypes. There's nothing like that. You know, I could walk in in high heels and a feather boa and they would never suggest that I was anything less than a straight man. But I created an album on my phone of a friend from college wearing an engagement ring and looking really excited and hugging me and stuff. And I told everyone, this is my wife in America, just to avoid any questions at all. Doing my hormone shots there were a little difficult because I didn't want to have to answer any questions at all if I could avoid it. But it's easy enough to say I'm low, low hormone naturally, should anyone ask. So you were trying to protect yourself from all these other things, and then danger came out of left field. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, yeah, so I had been in Ghana for six months on a what was supposed to be a 27-month assignment. And a, a really, my community was incredible. I, you know, I can't thank the people there enough for everything they did for me. They were like family to me. Uh, I was living in a family of 50, of which of whom two spoke English. And so I was trying to very quickly learn the local language and also like navigate uh, agricultural. Remember sentences that you can remember from that language? <laughs> yeah. My favorite sentence to use in markets, uh, like the older women who were selling things in markets, half jokingly would ask me to marry them. And I would say, which means I have a wife and I don't want any more. Um, <laughs> That's funny. And they thought that was the funniest thing that I could possibly say. Uh, mostly my my language there consisted of me asking where the cat was because there were more mice, mice in my kitchen and then telling them that, no, thank you, really, I am full and I don't want any more food. Right. Um, but but you, it's a problem and you have to get airlifted out. Right. So uh, there was an issue. I, I, I'm not sure how much detail I can go into, but I think right now, because there are no volunteers in Ghana, all volunteers have been pulled out of every country uh, because of COVID-19. But when I was there, there was a security issue involving the uh, border with Burkina Faso, which was a little less than 10 kilometers from my community. Mm -hmm. So I was directly on the border. So there were 37 of us who were deemed too close to the border, and we were pulled out because of the increasing security issues in that country. Wow. Um, so one day, my my house was giving me a garden and telling me I'm part of the family. And the next day I'm given two hours to pack up and say goodbye and try to get out as quickly as possible. Right. But you land on your feet because you applied to a master's program in forensic entomology in England, which of course now because of COVID-19, you aren't able to be completing. So what, what's next, Joel? What, what, what's the plan? It's a good question. Uh, I'm applying for reason that you're on the show. Yes. Your mom wanted to know what's next. <laughs> I know. I can tell. So, so you're going to be out of the house soon, right? I can hear it. 
brush your teeth this morning, clean the kitchen. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. Um, so I, uh, I am still finishing my master's just uh, remotely. I was in England for, again, another wonderful six months abroad, and then I'm sent right back to America when the outbreak hit and my school closed. But I'm finishing my master's and working on my thesis now, which is hopefully if I can find a cave that someone has empty, going to be on uh, decomposition studies in caves uh, and how entomology plays into that and what insects show up on, on, on a dead body in a cave. That sounds exciting and happy. Oh, it, it definitely <laughs> is. That's kind of what I'm all about. You know, I just need to find a cave that someone is willing to let some dead rats live in for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, we've had... Yeah. So much fun having you on this show, Joel Malia, graduate of East Hampton High School, transgender advocate and forensic entomologist. And uh, Joel, thank you so much. Is there anything that you wanted to add before we close out? Be kind to bugs and stop sending me pictures of spiders that are just blurry. They're not a brown recluse, I promise. <laughs> so sock you want to take us out yeah you know thank you thank you joel for coming on and, and to all and anybody that listened uh i think it'd be fair to say joel that you you embody courage um and you know the courage to change the courage to adapt and then the courage to face uh what what might be crippling fears and, and ultimately conquer and master them so uh thank you and and for everybody else um i, I would say you know, uh, be open-minded and listen to your children and listen to the people around you and and maybe not be so rooted in any dogma. And just uh, continue to keep your distance, wear your mask, wash your hands, support Black Lives Matter, and uh, mercifully 2020 is almost half over. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, the days start getting be, shorter. Be about. well and stay well. <laughs>